Hi, Jing. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? Yes. So I was born in Chengdu, um, capital of Sichuan province and food capital of China. But um, my father was a nuclear physicist and a professor, so we moved around with his job a lot. So I ended up growing up all over the world, really. Um, Germany, England, Austria, France, Italy, and then Canada. So I would consider myself Canadian. I lived there for probably the longest um, out of anywhere else. And um, yeah, so it was kind of an interesting upbringing, um, you know, being put into a new country with a new culture and a new language pretty much every year and needing to code switch. So I ate, um, I would say, you know, it was definitely um, a, a mix of different things, but um, a lot of home cooking. So the through line was definitely, you know, um, kind of, yeah, I would say like home style Sichuan food that my mom would make at home. And uh, we, we didn't really um, eat out that much. So it was, um, yeah, it was definitely my first, uh, my first love, which is what brought me back to China. <laughs> Of course. And you, I've read that you were working in brand management, in business development. What made you move toward food and especially toward opening that fast casual restaurant, Baoism, um, in Shanghai? Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I found myself um, in Beijing uh, in college on an exchange semester. And that was around 2008, so right around the time of the Olympics. <clears throat> and I just fell in love with the energy of the city. I um, I didn't know what to expect when I went there because I was so young when I left China, but um, I was just astounded by the modernity of it all, the energy, um, how dynamic the city was, um, just kind of the juxtaposition of the um, ancient uh the ancient city, um, you know, buildings that have been around for eight, 900 years, um, you know, against the backdrop of skyscrapers. And I realized when I was there just how disconnected I'd become from my heritage and from, in many ways, from myself. Um, and so I started to dig in deeper into the culture. And what I found the most fascinating was the food culture. Uh, Beijing is interesting because it's, um, you know, there's a capital of China. So you have the regional government offices of all of the provinces in Beijing. And each of the offices would have their own restaurants. <clears throat> and they would fly in chefs from those provinces. And, you know, what people don't realize is how vastly different the regional cuisines are in China. And so um, it is actually really hard even in Beijing to find you know, super uh, true to those regions kind of flavors. And so um, those government restaurants, government office restaurants was where I started to learn about the regional differences. And um, I ended up um, helping a friend out with her uh, food tour company in Beijing and learning even more about the history um, of the regional cuisines that way. And um, it just dawned on me how little we knew in the West about Chinese food and, um, and culture and its people and um, how much misinformation there was about it. And um, 
you know, so I started writing about it at first um, on my blog for different publications, um, which led to, you know, taking celebrity chefs around when they would come to China and like, you know, doing some television work. And um, all of it really was with the goal to shine more light on the cuisine um, and, you know, show how complex and diverse it is. And um, eventually, you know, at the time <clears throat> I was working in tech which is, you know, what allowed me to be in Asia. And um, I uh, eventually realized that I wanted to, um, I wanted to, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to start my own business. And so, um, you know, when the food writing kind of took off, I realized I wanted to create something more tangible. And so that took the form of a restaurant. I was inspired by like Sweetgreen and Chipotle's models in, in North America. And I didn't really see an equivalent of that in Shanghai at the time. And so, um, yeah, my restaurant was uh, using that model and, you know, enable to, to be able to provide food at an accessible kind of price point, but also um, featuring um you know, a modern kind of expression of digital, d different regional cuisines in China. Right. And, you know, how did you move from that to launching Fly by Jing? Yeah, so um, uh, as I'm sure you know from talking to restaurateurs and people in food, running a restaurant is no joke. And it's, um, it's an operational kind of, uh, you know, challenge. Um, and I realized through that process, you know, as much as we were successful doing what we did, we, you know, we had international and local kind of acclaim and won awards. And, um, and it was, you know, yeah, it was like widely celebrated, but I realized I didn't want to operate restaurants. Um, the next step would have been to, you know, grow it as a chain. And um, what I realized I loved about the experience was the brand creation, the product creation, the um, storytelling. Um, and I wanted to reach even more people um, by doing that. So I actually sold the restaurant to my business partner at the time. And I, um, in seeking kind of what my personal expression is within Chinese food, I'm went to my hometown, Chengdu, and I spent some time there uh, studying with probably one of the greatest living Sichuan chefs, Yu Bo. And I just absorbed everything that he had, you know, to offer. And he was very kind to kind of take me under his wings and, you know, read all of these hundred, you know, centuries year old, like cookbooks in his library, um, ate uh, so much street food and it was you know the food I remember growing up as a child um, these uh, places called fly restaurants and it's a very unique part of Chandu's food culture fly restaurants are um, so named because they are uh, you know usually hole in the walls kind of run down dirty but they are considered uh, so delicious, like the flavor trumps everything. And so it's so delicious that it draws people like flies. And um, it's, you know, my earliest food memories eating with my family in Chengdu. And so um, I just had such a love for them. And they're such an equalizer as well. You know, you have people of all different backgrounds. You see Ferraris parked next to bicycles. Everybody's like literally just um, there in that communion of those delicious flavors for that one moment in time. And it's um, something that really deeply inspired me. And I 
Um, and what I also saw was that a lot of these fly restaurants, you know, there's the old school ones that are run by, you know, elderly, um, you know, mom and pop kind of, um, you know, teams. But then there's also the new new school fly restaurants that I saw popping up um, and with young people, you know, really just kind of um, innovating and pushing the boundaries of what, you know, Sichuan food and even home style or street food could be. And so I was very inspired by that. And, um, you know, also I knew that because of the way that I grew up and uh, my unique set of experiences, um, I, I needed to figure out what my own expression was. And so it was through experimentation and, um, you know, kind of um, synthesizing um, my experience having, you know, traveled and eaten all over the world and uh, kind of <clears throat> the, um, I wouldn't say bridging west to east, but definitely kind of um, taking all of my personal experiences and putting it into my dishes, I, I started to um, yeah, cook something that I think was uniquely my own and uh, went back to Shanghai and started this underground supper club that I named Fly by Jing and um, took that on the road, traveled to cities all over, like from New Zealand, Australia, you know, the US, Europe, um, and did pop-ups. And uh, so it was you know, at the time, I didn't know that I was going to start a condiments company. At the time, I was just cooking and, you know, carrying my suitcases of ingredients around with me because I realized that the flavors um, taste as they do in Sichuan because of the very specific ingredients. And I had spent years by that point sourcing those ingredients. And um, I knew that they were super rare, even within China. I mean, China is such a massive country the highest quality ingredients are immediately snatched up whenever they're available. Um, and so, you know, of course there wasn't going to be any available in the places I was going and, uh, but, you know, cooking for, you know, hundreds and thousands of people, I um, saw this immediate feedback in, on their faces when they tasted the food. And I knew that, okay, these flavors are universal and, and, um, and people, love them they just have no access to them and have never even heard of some of these ingredients um and uh and kind of a light bulb you know went off and um yeah i realized i wanted to make these flavors more accessible to everyone and that mm, i could do that maybe through these sauces and i mean you mentioned kind of you know you're not uh, changing the flavors for different audiences, but you are bringing these flavors to an audience that maybe didn't grow up with them. And because you had this experience with Taoism, with, you know, serving these regional cuisines within China, you know, what did you change, if anything, for Fly by Jing to make it so kind of globally appealing? <clears throat> so I think with Taoism, as well as with Fly by Jing, um, I was looking for a modern expression of those flavors that are traditional. So at Baoism, um, we combined, uh, you know, different flavor profiles from different regions. And, you know, we, we made, um, we had a um, red braised pork dish that is a very kind of characteristic of, you know, kind of the Eastern, Ch uh, Eastern Chinese regions like Shanghai. But um, we served it almost like carnita style, 
Um, so a pulled pork version of the hong xiao rou, which is usually served in chunks and of pork belly. And um, we also serve that with, you know, um, pickled uh, cucumbers and, you know, cilantro and peanuts that were more, um, you know, evocative of like Taiwanese region. And, uh, you know, the guapao, the, the steamed bun itself is um, rooted in Taiwan. And, you know, we also had a Cantonese style, like black pepper, you know, usually that's like black pepper beef, but we paired it with like us crispy tofu. And so it was always kind of like a bit more whimsical and a bit more unexpected. And, you know, I was always interested in kind of like defying um, or giving uh, the diner something that they um, didn't expect or, you know, that they expected one thing, but, you know, having, having something completely different show up on their palate. And so um, I think, you know, uh, I approached that with Fly by Jing as well. Um, you know, some of the uh, ingredients in the sauces that we make have literally never been put together before. Um, and I know this because of just the difficulty in like sourcing and um, in, um, you know, in, in combining those is those ingredients. There's a lot of challenges along the way. So, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, the way that, again, it's like I realize that I can only for me, I can only cook what um, what I know and um, what I know is a kind of a you know, amalgamation of like where I've been, what I've found and, you know, what techniques I, I've learned. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I approach it. I, <clears throat> and I think um, just like me, like my, just like my background, you know, the products, they're rooted in tradition. Um, and to me, that means, you know, really understanding the cultural significance, the um, the way it's evolved over time. Um the provenance of the ingredients and um and then but you know made for the way that we eat today so um you know super versatile uh something that um, has no rules bound to it um that you can add to your existing kind of um lifestyle yeah and you know the fly by jing kind of tagline is not traditional but personal personal right and have people kind of pushed back because i know that there's there's been so much demand for like this idea of authenticity um especially ar around cuisines like like chinese cuisine um you know what is the response to that and and also is that tagline kind of a a push against that already yeah, you're right. Um, it is a push against that. We launched a couple of years ago. So I actually moved to LA um, about exactly two years ago to launch Fly by Jing here. And, um, you know, we came out with this rebrand um, just a couple of months ago. And uh, we started working on the rebrand about a year ago. And at that point, you know, we'd already been in market. And I definitely started noticing um you know, a lot of people uh, kind of, you know, I guess trying to put us in a in a box, in a, in a neat little box that will allow them to understand what we are, right? Because we were the first like modern kind of, you know, Chinese um, chili sauce company to launch in the U.S. Um, at the time in 2018, Laogama was, was around, um, it had been around, um, but, you know, it definitely had not 
reached kind of the mainstream like cult status as as it has now um and you know i th- i found a lot of people were you know because our first product was a chili sauce um it's um and we we have many products you know, that we've launched since then but um you know because our first product was chili sauce they uh, a lot of people would say oh is this just a gentrified version of lagamai is this you know um uh, you know, I've been to China once, so I know what chili sauce is. Like, is this going to meet my expectations kind of thing? Or, you know, I have a Chinese girlfriend, um, so I know what this is all about. And um, so I found it, you know, a lot of it was coming from people who are not Chinese and, right. you know, trying to kind of make it fit in their minds. And, um, you know, with um, with you know, even some Chinese people or, or Asian people um, would have kind of, uh, I've, I realized like this very ingrained um, view in their own, in their minds of what Chinese food uh, should represent. And I felt like it was um, often prescribed on us. So, you know, growing up, my parents would tell me, <clears throat> um, or, you know, growing up, we were, uh, we were always very like cost conscious and, you know, it's like uh, Chinese food, you know, this is a very common thing with, uh, with immigrant um, families that like, like, you know, the more authentic it is, the, the cheaper it is, the more authentic it is. And um, so there's definitely uh, a lot of connotations, I guess, around, around the cuisine and what it represents to so many people. And so um, I wanted to move us away from that because, you know, to me, this product is, you know, is um, this product is such a personal expression to me that I knew, you know, the ingredients had never been put together before. These ingredients have never been exported before. And so this tastes different to even people in my hometown in Sichuan. Um, My family, you know, tasted it and they're like, oh, this is different this is interesting um because you know everybody in china has their own like chili sauces and you know homemade condiments and it's everyone's is so vastly different someone some some have you know meat inside like beef and some have like you know dried seafood some you know have um black beans fermented fava beans everyone has such a different way of making these sauces that um you know most people in china you know, just eat their homemade stuff. They don't even buy stuff from the stores. So um, I wanted to show that, you know, we're not just a monolith, um, you know, Asian food and, you know, and just even Chinese food and even breaking it down even further, Sichuan food, it's not something you can neatly fit into a box that, you know, uh, makes it easier for you to comprehend. There's so much complexity. There's so much depth. And um, and every every version of it deserves its own uh, space to, to be. And um, so that was the impetus behind the rebrand and, and calling it a very personal product. Um, and since we did the rebrand, you know, nobody has, well, you know, people who, um, who don't know about our brand and just kind of see it on a surface level will still try to, you know, uh, place their judgments on it. But um, for the people, you know, who have seen our rebrand, our customers and, you know, people who are interested in, in digging deeper into these things, their, um, the response has largely been very, very positive and people really get it. 
Right. I mean, I saw you on Instagram, I think this weekend, kind of responding to people uh, <laughs> with the idea that you've gentrified Chili Crisp or something. And I had already written this question because I know that people, especially, you know, it's a woman run brand. It has really cool branding. There are people who are going to say that, the, you know, it's too expensive and, and that sort of thing, you know. So, you know, how... And you responded to this publicly, but, you know, what is your kind of go-to response when people say that, that, you know, the brand is more about this kind of millennial aesthetic rather than like motivated by flavor or important sourcing and, and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the people that make those comments, they don't really say it's like um, that it's, you know, for the aesthetic um, at the expense of these other things, because I don't think they dig deep enough to to know about those other things. But um, it is, you know, usually it's like uh, on, for example, like a like an ad or something like that. Um, you know, they're just seeing it for the first time. And I think the assumption is always that, um, you know, again, I think I think there is um, <clears throat> such a um, there's such a perception of uh, their their perception of like what um, a a what whether this is just an expensive chili sauce is very much colored by um, people's views on the the value of um, ethnic food right and broadly um, and in this case Chinese food and Chinese food um, its history in this country has been um, one that is, uh, you know, has been forced to be very cheap because of expectations and, um, and it, you know, evolved this way because of many different factors, you know, one of which is the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1800s. And, um, you know, the immigrants that came here had no choice but to um, produce Chinese food and kind of, you know, change it up based on the available ingredients and based on expectations of, you know, um, of its value. And so um, for a very long time, um, Chinese food is seen to be extremely cheap and affordable. But as a result, it's become extremely popular and has proliferated this country. There's 50,000 Chinese restaurants in this country alone. So it's uh, arguably one of the most popular cuisines here. Um, and so, you know, everybody has kind of a, uh, some, some um, interaction or some kind of connection to it. Um, and so, you know, people feel it very personally, right? And have very, um, uh, you know, strong feelings about what it represents in their mind. And so um, there's definitely, um, there's definitely a lot of pushback on the price, but that pushback I find is uh, oftentimes has not been very thoughtful um, because if you think really about it, um, what, you know, what does a price of a product, you know, what, what, what are the components of that? It's um, you know, it's the people behind it making a living wage. It is, you know, um, ethical sourcing. It is transparent sourcing it, you know, and if it's a, a, a product that, you know, tastes incredible. Um, any chef or anybody who's cooked knows that the, what you put into your dish is everything, right? Like the same dish made with different grades of ingredients will produce completely different things. So, um, you know, I think there's not enough thought put to that, right? And, um, and so our response really usually is just, you know, explaining that um, 
look like nothing this tastes different from everything else because this is made differently from everything else and um you know people also forget about economies of scale <laughs> they want to compare you know i think because when you see an ad on instagram um you kind of tend to think that you, you equate all of these companies the same so it's like a small tiny company uh you're seeing the same ad on the same platform as a giant monolith or giant um you know company and so you um they often think that we're maybe at the same scale of something like Laogama, which is a billion dollar company and we're, you know, completely bootstrapped. <laughs> I was the only employee up until August of this year um, of this business. And so um, actually I wasn't even on payroll. So, um, so it's like, you know, comparing um, apples to something completely different. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> yeah. And so, you know, we, we kind of like, uh, we, we do explain it, you know, without judgment. We're like, look, we're, you know, we can't compete against the economies of scale of something like Lagama. Um, but we do, we, we can be proud of the quality of our ingredients, the intentionality behind it, the, um, the craft behind it. And, um, and, you know, we're a very small team and, uh, you know, female minority run. And usually the response is excellent, right? People are, you know, Actually, we've seen a lot of like uh, white men <laughs> apologize to us on on Instagram, um, and uh, and but yeah, um, but we also recognize you can't win every battle, and so we don't you know sweat uh, sweat about it. We just you know we um, sometimes we'll have some fun with the trolls and troll them right back. So. <laughs> No, that's great. I mean, and I know I read that your business kind of like boomed during the pandemic, which I think has happened, you know, for a few kind of art artisanal brands in food, you know, doing stuff that'll make people's home cooking more interesting. Like, and you, you mentioned that you, you just hired people. Like, how is, how has that been to kind of grow so quickly and, and under these kinds of conditions? And, you know, how have you, how have you adapted to that? Yeah, so um, this year has really been unimaginable in so many ways. And, you know, it's been a crazy year for me personally and, and professionally, <clears throat> um, as it has been for, for so many of us. And, uh, you know, I think um, I, at the beginning of the year, you know, we were still just kind of growing at a steady pace. We were, you know, uh, probably 20 to 30 percent month over month. And as because um, it was completely bootstrapped. So I didn't have, like, you know, venture capital funding. I didn't have thousands and thousands of dollars to pump into advertising. So it was growing largely organically um, through word of mouth and um, through like media mentions. But in March, um, <clears throat> when, uh, you know, there's so much uncertainty brewing and, you know, my uh, factories on the ground were also shut down for, you know, since the beginning of the year because of COVID on the ground in China. Um I, there was, there was a lot of uncertainty and it was quite scary, um, especially as more and more, uh, kind of ra blatantly racist comments started popping up on our, on our socials. Um, I had no idea whether this, you know, business would make it. Um, but then in April we had, um, a really glowing kind of review about us and a feature about the product in the New York times by Sam Sifton. And, um, and that coincided obviously with the, the lockdown and we saw sales spike immediately. Um, and with the New York times article, we actually sold out of um, three months worth of inventory overnight. And, um, 
you know, it's obviously <laughs> very, uh, it was great, but it was also highly distressing because the, um, the factories were not, you know, up and running yet. And <clears throat> so I um, had to do a lot of, I had to overcome a lot to get that up and running again. Um, and it just seemed like at every corner, there was a new challenge, a new issue that was setting us back. And um, we, you know, started taking pre-orders, which was a godsend because, you know, we probably wouldn't have been able to survive uh, without it. And, um, you know, we eventually had about 30,000 people on a wait list, um, on a pre-order list. And um, I think, you know, because we were also, you know, being very communicative and transparent with our customers um, as to the, all of the delays and the reasons. And, uh, and we were also donating um, about 10% of our sales at, at that time to organizations feeding the front line. And, um, and um, also in June uh, to organizations that were doing essential work in black communities. I think um, a lot of our customers were very happy to support um, you know, to 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 wait for their product if it meant that their money was going to support these causes. Um, there was obviously also some people that were just um, extremely um, adamant uh, that they were that they needed their chili sauce immediately um, in a pandemic, and uh, that you know we um, luckily it was very very few. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean everything from. Uh, you know, setting up a whole new supply chain in the U.S. because the Chinese bottlers were unable to to do it, um, <clears throat> and uh, to you know custom delays um, of up to a month to the sauces literally breaking the machines um, when we got to the co-packer. Um, so we had to bottle thirty thousand jars by hand. Um, all of these things just you know it was endless issues, um, but. Uh, when we finally, you know, got our stock back, um, which was about July, um, yeah, it was, it, the feedback from customers was incredible. You know, you could see that as soon as they received it, um, they would come back on the site and buy like four more jars and, um, and, you know, to gift to their friends. And so, um, yeah, so I think this year has been really a landmark year for us. And I was able to hire, um, four people and, uh, you know, we're actually, um, we're actually, uh, doing a little, um, kind of. 2021 uh, strategic planning session right now and I'm so excited about all of the different like the the direction that we're going and all of the opportunities that we have ahead of us um, you know we're we started as D2C and um, out of necessity because it is just the most efficient way for someone with, with without capital to to get started um, but now you know we are looking at entering retail this year and um, and uh, some new products coming down the horizon. So I'm very excited about that. That sounds amazing. And um, so for you, is is cooking a political act? I think, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think you know it's the reason why I got started with this. Um, I felt like there were so many. Um, factors that you know I couldn't control that were coloring the way that people looked at Chinese food and looked at you know me as as a result and um, and I 
wanted to, I think, you know, I, I hated categorization more than anything. And just, you know, again, you know, I bring up, you know, putting people in boxes that make it easier for you to comprehend, but that, you know, grossly misunderstands or underestimates them. And I, um, I think that, <clears throat> you know, with, um, with, uh, with Chinese food, you know, it's always been kind of at the lowest rungs of what's known as the hierarchy of taste. And that's the value that we prescribe to different cuisines that really is colored by the value we prescribe on their people and the immigrants from those countries. Right. And so, um, there's no, there's, there's no doubt in China that Chinese food has value, but I found that in the West, like in, you know, countries like the U S, um, which ends up, uh, you know, influencing global culture as a whole, right. Through the, the, the power of the U S media. Um, I, I felt like there was something I could do here and which is why I chose to base fly by Jing in Los Angeles and in, in the U S. Um, I wanted to kind of, you know, tackle the problem I feel like at, at the source. And, um, you know, I think through, um, through the work of, you know, um, newer companies like mine and like, you know, uh, some of the new school restaurants even that have opened in New York and LA and like run by young people who are really pushing the conversation forward about what Chinese food is and what, what, um, what it could become. Um, we are working to kind of make it be more seen and, um, and, you know, the byproduct of that. And I think, you know, um, uh, with my rebrand, I was telling a very personal story that was around seeking belonging and, and, and coming home to self. And um, I found that, you know, in, you know, our goal is really now becoming um, uh, creating space for all of these different stories to exist and um, because they deserve to be told. And, uh, you know, it was, it felt highly vulnerable for me to share my story. Um, but the, the amount that, um, the, the feedback that we got and the, the people that, you know, really connected to that, um, from all walks of life really showed me that this is a universal thing. And so through what we're doing, um, in, in something as little as like a citron chili oil, um, hopefully, you know, we can, um, create space for everyone to tell their stories. Right. Thank you so much, Jing, for taking the time out to chat. Thank you so much for having me.